welcome everyone. <laughs> um, we know that this has been an amazing conference for many of you. And so we're really thrilled to have you join us on this last day, which is really focused on action um, and taking action within our organizations. So today's workshop is entitled Develop, uh, Developing a Plan to Create Anti-Racist Employment Practices in Civil Legal Services. So we're gonna uh, sh shift gears a little bit and move over to the agenda and I'm gonna turn it over to my colleague, Susan. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, there's the last person coming in. Thank you so much for being here. Um, today, we have a lot to cover and it may be more than you can cover in the limited time that we have, but we wanna try. We hope you keep an open mind. This is a continuous process. Um, and so we've broken it down to basically three larger uh, steps. We'll start off with a small icebreaker and understand what our rules are for the engagement uh, today. And then we wanna talk about why it's important to have diversity and inclusion in legal services, um, something you've probably heard before, but we want to take a different, a little, another look at it and from a, a different perspective. Next, we'll talk about understanding organizational culture and our culture as public interest attorneys. And then finally, we want to really look at some next, next steps and help you to create an action plan. So um, we'll just start with um, just a little bit of icebreakers and introductions about us. Oh, there's another person. Let me get them in. Amistad um, Consulting Group is a collaborative consulting partnership of uh, individuals with various backgrounds. We're extremely diverse, and we focus on working with marginalized communities and groups that work with marginalized communities. We range from social workers to attorneys to IT people. Um, I'm gonna ask you if you would in the chat to think of yourself as a spice. And if you were a spice, could you just put in the chat what type of spice that you would be? I'd also ask if you would, if you're, if you're comfortable, just to identify your pronouns that you'd like to use, and you can rename yourself, and that should be in the chat as well to tell you how to rename yourself so that you can utilize your pronouns. So my name is Susan Chase. I've been a legal service attorney for over 20 for over for 25 years, and um, I, she, her, and if I were Spice, I would be Sumac. I'm Bharati Narmanchi. My pronouns are she, her, and I would be chili powder. I'm Jasmina Chuck. I use she, they pronouns, and I would be paprika. So again, if folks are able to, um, if you would like to put wonderful, um, what spice and your pronouns in the chat, if you are interested in adding your pronouns to your window, to your name, um, you can hover over in, your, in the corner of your image. There's a blue box next to the mute button that has three white dots. If you click that, um, you can go down to rename. It's the second to last option. Uh, and you can type in a name and organization and your pronouns. Uh, again, the blue box in the upper right-hand corner of your image window. Um, uh, and scroll down to rename and you can put whatever names and pronouns you would like to put there. Thank you. 
We're getting some really great ones coming in through the chat box. Um, Mural of Flavor. I've never heard of that one. I'm going to go look that up. I think uh, she's a combination of things. Okay. <laughs> Saffron, always a, a beautiful one. Turmeric, a lot of turmeric. Cinnamon, delicious. Adobo, mm, yum. Um, I'm getting hungry. I don't know about other folks. But yeah, we've got some great ones. Cinnamon, just because I love it, Matt. That's fantastic. I think Jasmina has a good one for cinnamon. Yes, Tabasco, yes. <laughs> yes, so thank you for sharing that with us. Um, and moving forward, let's move on to the next. Yeah, so let's just talk a little bit about ground rules here. Um, we're all colleagues. We all work together in some capacity or another. But I'm going to ask you just to give us some undivided attention for this little amount of time. You free yourself from technology to the extent that you can. Um, if you could keep your cameras on, if you cannot understand, people have to go away, go 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 out of the room or have something they have to take care of. But to the extent that you can, heads up and cameras on. Everyone should speak their truth, and we want to encourage you to do that but allow other people to speak as well. So um, step up and step back. Don't feel the need to force anyone else to speak. People have to speak when they're comfortable doing so. So we don't want to have people identify or speak for someone else. Of course, be respectful. Actively listen to what someone is saying and really try to to um, lean into your discomfort we, discomfort. we have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And it's okay to be uncomfortable. There is not going to be closure here. Um, you have to ex expect uh, questions and don't expect that we're going to resolve all these problems in, in, in this simple, um, you know, this small workshop. This is an opportunity for discourse. And, um, and if you have any other ground rules that you want to add, we can put that in the chat. Also, like, you know, let's pretend we're in Vegas. Let's keep our um, conversations here. Um, what state, what it happens here, let's have that is, but to the most part, unless we're taking, we're having our action plan, but, but when we talk about our, you know, uh, when we, we want to make sure we're comfortable saying what we need to say, so let's leave, leave those things here. Um, anything in the chat, anybody want to put, add anything in the chat that we need to talk about or as far as the ground rules? Okay. All right. Um, Thanks. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, we want to talk uh, a little bit briefly about the purpose and goals of the workshop, um, and then we will move through the different sections of the workshop as well. Um, thank you, George. We see uh, you don't have a camera. That's fine. Um, thanks for letting us know. So with regards to um, this particular workshop, it's critical that we start really talking about anti-racism in the workplace, right? And we know that it ultimately is going to benefit the entire organization, um, but it also really fosters a sense of inclusion and belonging. And so this is really the first step of the process. It's getting to think about language, how our organization operates, and really being introspective about that. Because we all come into our organizations with different life experiences. And so we may not necessarily see what other folks share. 
So it's important for us to really keep an open mind. While we may think our, our organization's uh, culture is wonderful, our BIPOC colleagues may not be having the same experience. Additionally, we're really hoping um, that coming out of this workshop, folks are able to leave and create some strategies for their organizations that help them attract and retain diverse candidates. And finally, we really wanted to hear from folks about what they what brought them here today, right? Um, it's a long conference. It's a really critical conference. And so what is it that you're seeking? And we invite you to put that also into the chat box as well, so that we as facilitators can be mindful of what you really feel like is your need right now and how we can um, address it or get there or touch on it today. So um, take a moment, put it in the chat box. If there's something that you're seeking in particular um, that is uh, really critical, again, let us know. And we'll circle back to those as we begin to talk about organizational culture. So moving on to the nitty gritty, um, we're gonna move into part two. And at the end of part two, we will have a brief five minute break uh, for folks to refresh uh, before we move on to the final sections as well. Part two, why does diversity and inclusion matter in legal services? Well, seems like it's a no brainer, right? Um, but it does. And uh, what's really critical about when we think about the DEI lens and initiatives in the workplace is that we actually cannot create these initiatives in the workplace without first addressing institutional racism that disproportionately impacts um, communities of color and uh, even drill down further to Black and Latinx communities. So we wanted to start off this conversation really actually talking about what it means to have an anti-racist workplace what is the vision and what we call the values case, right? Um, and that is really critical. It's, it's what's gonna essentially drive the culture of the organization. So we know that traditional DE&I initiatives tend to focus on very standard sort of HR things like employee engagement, fostering a sense of belonging. And we wanna really distinguish that from the importance of really thinking about anti-racist policies and procedures. Um, really doing that introspection about the culture of the organization from top to bottom and what it really means to actually operationalize equity. And I think that that is often the challenge that many folks in nonprofits and legal services face, right? Um, thank you, Kathy, for sharing that um, as well. well. We'll circle back to some of the chats. So, you know, we know it's critical moving forward. Uh, and what's great about today's session is we have many folks uh, here today who are organizational leaders, who are folks who are involved with hiring and recruitment in their organization. And again, who bring a lot of experience. But what we really need to think about is creating an anti-racist uh, anti workplace means that we need to step up. We need to affirm the experience of black and brown communities while really committing to looking at our workplace practices and rooting out, as we said, microaggressions and discrimination. So we wanted to start the conversation with that. So why is diversity, equity, and inclusion important? Um, you know, I think what is really critical is that while we think about our mission, it's always really important for us to understand why it's important to um, have a shared vision and how working to end oppression, working to make life better for marginalized communities actually has a societal, right? It actually makes life better for everyone. 
And the curb cut effect, uh, for those of you who may or may not be aware, um, has to do uh, with, with a design strategy that was employed by folks who had disabilities. And uh, something as simple as being able to navigate around a sidewalk um, was incredibly difficult for, for disabled communities and folks with disabilities. So as a result, this really simple design change, this uh, act of um, impacting a marginalized community and improving their life um, actually had a, a larger uh, societal benefit for everyone. So it's something that we all use, people with strollers, delivery trucks. Um, and there are other things that we actually come very much um, rooted from oppression and uh, exclusion in, in within our communities. So we list out a couple of other things like typewriters, email, closed captioning. Um, those are things also that uh, have really actually had a, a huge impact on all of us. So moving forward, I'm gonna turn it over to Jazz and we're gonna talk a little bit about language. So we understand that a, a large barrier to institutionalizing uh, anti-racist practices is common language, right? How do we even begin conversations if we don't have a common starting point of what are we talking about? So we wanna go through quickly and define some terms that y'all may have heard. Um, these again come from the work that we do at Amistad as consultants and from the various trainings that each of us as trainers engage in. Uh, so very simply, diversity is, a, is a, a large umbrella term. It's a vague term, right? Uh, it's describing differences that occur in individuals and groups based on many facets of identity. Um, so it's not a kind of specific to race or ethnicity. Um, diversity includes religion, socioeconomic status, sexual orientation, um, abilities, we talked about it a moment ago. Um, there are many different ways in which diversity can be defined and understanding for your organization, the gaps in diversity, who specifically is missing from this space will help you drill into how diversity in that kind of vague sense um, can be inclusive. Who is not at the table when we're having these conversations? Uh, next, we're going to talk about equity. Um, equity, again, is this is a kind of evolution um, from this previous term that was very focused on in lots of trainings, which was equality. Um, equity is the understanding that, you know, fair treatment and equality is an important goalpost for organizations, for our society in general, um, but that in order to create equal access to resources, we need to understand that folks have barriers, that different communities, different individuals, marginalized communities at the, at the forefront experience so many barriers and disadvantages that we need to provide and invest more access, more resources, so that they are able to access the privileges that other folks are able to in our spaces. Inclusion, very simply, huge goal, right? It's what we want to feel in our workspaces. We want to feel valued. We want to feel respected and welcomed. And when an individual, especially folks in BIPOC communities, are feeling valued and seen in their workplace, we're able to build expertise, we're able to be creative, and to really grow collaboratively in the space and continue to use our expertise to expand our workplace. We want to create workplaces where people stay, where there's high, there's high retention, um, where folks are feeling that like their words, their thoughts, their projects are included and valued in addition to who they are as individuals. 
So language is ever changing. It is constantly evolving and is fluid. Uh, I feel like I don't have to belabor this point to folks that work in the legal services. The law constantly change in terms of rhetoric and rules and language. Uh, but what we know to be true is that words, terms, and acronyms, especially the ones that are used by people to describe themselves and their communities are constantly changing. Um, to be more inclusive, to be more inclusive and expressive in those communities. Um, different titles and terms mean different things to every individual. Um, so we kind of want to alleviate the stress that anyone can become perfectly competent in understanding everything about diversity. Uh, and the most important thing is to remember that that community, that individual, those are the experts in their experience and their needs and the words that should be used to describe them. Um, so again, our, the communities that we're serving, the folks that are in our spaces, they have the best resource for which language fits them the best and is the most affirming. Um, so again, we wanted to highlight that there are some words that folks use in community spaces that don't that should not be used by folks outside of that community. And we really want to take institutional um, moments to strive to make words and valid and validate terms and the way people describe themselves. That validation is really important. No one wants to feel like giving new information is met with frustration. And we want to be able to update information when we create heritage events to include new language, we really want to be reflexive of that evolution of terms. Uh, and we want to divide. We want to. We want to really give definitions for the terms that we. I'm sure y'all have been hearing about throughout the um, throughout the entire practice the, the last three days, uh, and especially in our session, um, for that collective conversation. Um, so racism is ingrained. It is ingrained in every facet of our society. Uh, it is ingrained in our personal belief and how our society is structured, and it manifests through the ways people think, ways people uh, speak, the ways they act, and the ways in which laws, regulations, even internal policies are. Are enacted. And again, it is the continuous oppression of BIPOC individuals based on the socially constructed hierarchy. And it really does privilege people, white folks, um, people with lighter skin, and truly normalizes marginalization of Black individuals. Colorism is a deeper dive. Again, we really want to name the issues that you're seeing in your workplaces because this is how we start to uproot and understand how to make that change. Colorism is an internalized belief that Black people specifically and people with darker skin are inferior, that there is something lesser than, um, than white folks or people with lighter skin. And that manifests in many different types of prejudice and discrimination. Anti-Black racism, racism, the reason that we're here and talking today is that entrenched belief uh, and that entrenched kind of personal and systemic devaluing and dehumanizing of Black people and Blackness, Black culture. Uh, we're going to talk a bit more about how that manifests in the workspace, but really that entrenched systemic devaluing and dehumanizing of Black folks um, is central to what we're talking about today. And lastly, uh, we want to discuss quickly ableism since we did talk about the curb cut, which was a huge movement that supported many communities, including entire cities. Um, and again, it's that a societal prejudice um, that folks with disabilities should be fixed, um, that there is something wrong with them or that they are lesser than or lesser able um, than able-bodied individuals. We wanted to quickly provide some acronyms. Um, these are acronyms that you're likely seeing um, in various spaces when we go into DEI conferences and we're reading reports, when we're trying to understand how to make our workplaces more inclusive. Um, the acronyms on the screen are likely ones that you are seeing way more often. Um, so I, I won't go over them, all of them, but we wanted to provide kind of clarification on various acronyms that you may be seeing throughout this, this training and also the work that you will be doing. And last, we really wanted to highlight 
you know, what we believe are important goalposts, what are the pillars of trying to create an anti-racist workplace. Um, so at Amistad, us as trainers, we really believe an anti-racist workplace aims to do these three things. Uh, and the first is to support our colleagues, our colleagues and ourselves with the active practice, it's a lifelong process of combating personal um, bias through education. And this bias is unconscious, it is also conscious at times, and that education that we can provide in-house at our organizations by bringing in external partners, by talking to marginalized communities, both internally and externally, can really help begin that process for folks. You know, why diversity matters, what does racism mean? These are trainings and things that we can provide for our staff. Um, assessing and uprooting institutional and organizational racist practice um, is very likely there are practices that exist in your organization that need to be drastically changed or replaced, right? They have not been set up to support the BIPOC staff that we want to retain, that we want to have in our spaces. Uh, and lastly, again, to, mar to really collaborate with marginalized groups. Uh, again, internal, um, your wonderful staff that are currently there and external folks, consultants, DEI experts, um, external marginalized community groups and community partners to really help implement anti-racist, actively anti-racist policies that can lead to the racial equity that'll create that inclusion and help with retention. Uh, we want to help identify as much as possible um, ways to see this manifest in our space. I'll only call out one or two, um, but in society, BIPOC people specifically, so that's Black, Indigenous, people of color, are seen as less deserving and often less intelligent. The way that manifests in the day-to-day -day in the office um, is major wage disparity um, for BIPOC staff who have the same qualifications, the same years of work and service at organizations, um, which also leads to being passed up to promotions, right? These go hand in hand, that not only are people, um, that wage disparity exists, but they are often passed over for promotions. Uh, in terms of being less intelligent, um, when folks are starting out in a job, that natural learning curve of figuring out how to acclimate to a space, um, even making natural mistakes and kind of work projects in the beginning um, can be seen as proof of an inability to do work. And that kind of scrutinizing and micromanaging we see very often with BIPOC staff. Uh, in our society, um, people of color, specifically Black, Latinx, BIPOC folks are seen as comical and suspicious. Um, the way this manifests in the workspace is, you know, jokes, <laughs> harmless jokes or jokes that people feel should not be taken very seriously are very eroding and harmful to the folks who have to internalize that. Um, mocking clients in the office is a large one. If we are mocking clients who come from marginalized communities and are reflections of our staff, what does that say about how one feels about the colleagues that they are working with, right? The people of color who are working with them every day to support clients. Um, so again, making sure that we are rooting out jokes that we are rooting out, making fun of marginalized communities uh, is a very important thing to focus on. Uh, and through the hiring practice, um, only checking or scrutinizing BIPOC applicants, that kind of initial disbelief in their expertise is a way in which Black folks are seen as suspicious or less deserving and less intelligent through the hiring process. Uh, so again, you will all be given these slides. We wanted to highlight some of the ways that this manifests in office spaces. Microaggressions are a very clear kind of sign of how racial tension, how racism acts in the workplace. I think very often we feel like racism is this blatant thing. A racist act is loud, it's a blaring alarm, everyone can identify it and put their finger on it. That's actually not the case. Um, we very often see that microaggressions are the, are the very harmful things that add up, that chip away at BIPOC staff feeling included or like they should stay in an organization. Very simply, microaggressions are everyday, right? They're verbal and sometimes nonverbal slights, snubs, 
snubs, insults, uh, and questions that people think are unintentional, but call into question who a person is. Um, so a really great example from the racial microaggressions image that we have here, uh, assuming that a person with darker skin, who you know may be from a different country, um, can translate right, can understand a different language. Um, commenting on how well someone speaks English, assuming that they haven't been here for multiple generations and English may be their first language. Um, asking where they're from, making comments about how someone looks, how attractive they are despite their skin color. Um, there are many ways in which microaggressions look subtle, um, but have a huge impact and reception for BIPOC staff. So at this point, um, we wanted to take a little bit of a break. Say one thing. I'm sorry. So in aggressions, I'm, I'm just going to, I just thought through this, can be, sometimes can be positive too, right? Like you can say something that you think is positive someone, and it pulls into that stereotype of, of people. And, and, and you're making these assumptions, and that can also be demeaning to someone. So just because you think, oh, you're not like these other people are you're not that kind of minority or something can also be a microaggression so we have to be aware that um into these positive stereotypes that can also be microaggressions and we really want to invite, invite folks to to jump in in the chat raise a hand if they have a question um because we do really we don't want to be talking at folks we really want this to foster a discussion today um, and as part of that process, um, we are also wanted to take a little bit of a temperature check. So we're spending a lot of time talking about language and anti-racism versus diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we wanted to really get a sense from folks, well, what is my workplace like? Is my workplace fostering inclusion? So we're gonna launch a little bit of a poll and then we're gonna step back and talk a little bit about the results as well. Um, so bear with us as we launch some of this technology. Okay, do folks see the poll coming up? Okay, great. So take a moment to answer the poll, and then we're going to circle back and talk a little bit about what folks are saying um, and why it's really critical, uh, obviously, for us to talk about fostering inclusivity. give this uh, another moment, another minute for folks to answer the poll. Um, we, we know we had a couple of folks join late. Uh, we wanted to just let you know as you're doing the poll, the slide deck will be available um, to all the workshop participants afterwards. And again, we wanna invite you uh, within the chat box um, to tell us why you're here today. Um, if you weren't able to, uh, what you're specifically seeking out of, out of this particular workshop. Uh, and you can also rename yourself uh, with your pronouns. We put those directions as well. Okay, I'm going to give folks another 20 seconds. Uh, do folks need more time? Are we we good? Okay. I think we're good. I did launch the poll, Jazz. I don't know why I can't see it. You have to excuse our... our... You want me to end it? I can do it. Yeah. Okay. Do you wanna... I'm going to end the poll. Okay. All right. And I will share the results. 
Can everyone see those? I can't, I cannot see them. Let's see if I can, uh, let me see if I can share a screen. You're gonna see everything, but um, let's see if you can see my screen. See my screen? It's showing the video, not the poll. Oh, darn. I don't know why. We are not showing A Quiet Place Part 2 as much as we would like to <laughs> during this workshop. I can <laughs> see the poll. Did anyone see the poll? I can I can see the poll result. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Everybody except for Barati can see the poll's result. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, I I was okay. So I, okay, why don't I just say what they are, Barati? Um. So we have seventy percent of the people say that they have an anti-racist policies uh, in in their handbook or or it's in their handbook. So we have seventy percent. Um, celebrates diversity with heritage events such as celebrating Black History Month, Latin History Month, um, AAIP Awareness Month. So that's 60%. Supports mentoring and professional development, 80% of BIPOC staff. I don't know why that's in red for some reason. Um, has strategic recruitment and hiring plan to attract BIPOC candidates, 60%, and has employee resource groups, that's 30%. Okay, I'm yeah, gonna stop sharing now. Those are great numbers, and uh, we're actually gonna I'll talk- write it down. We're gonna talk a little bit about employee resource groups down the line. Um, for those of you who may not have one, um, what role uh, those groups will play within an organization. So um, really doing very well, folks, um, high numbers. But again, we know that while we may have many of these programs in place, we know within our workplace, we still have a lot of work to do, uh, particularly around issues of um, recruitment, retention, and hiring moving forward. So um, we talked about the curb cut effect before, right? Um, and, and as we uh, circle back in the next section, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Demos case study, the homework, the gigantic homework assignment everyone was given, um, we really want to talk about uh, the importance of having buy-in from staff and being able to articulate why we need these initiatives and why we need to foster anti-racism in the workplace. For those of you who are in these uh, positions of leadership, who uh, may have control over resources, who are responsible for hiring, we often talk about um, making the business case. So earlier we talked about the values case. And again, the business case is really important because it's often connected to funding and programs and really being able to explain to folks why these things are really critical. Um, and most importantly, it helps sustain and grow our organizations, right? And so if we're really thinking about long-term health and strategic development, um, we really want uh, our workplace to be really reflective of the communities that we're serving and the changing demographics of the United States. We wanna embrace this with love and not fear. 
So there's some obvious data out there. Uh, we know that there are huge issues around gender and leadership, um, and as well with race and uh, cultural diversity. And so uh, McKinsey's did a 2019 diversity wins report. Uh, there are all types of studies out there along the nature of McKinsey's. There's one specific to legal services as well, um, in terms of you know where are we in terms of diversity and inclusion and what are the pros uh, of this work, right? So we know the curb cut um, effect had a positive effect. And again, you can see some of the data uh, about um, how uh, folks um, stay in workplaces for a number of reasons, right? So fostering inclusion in an anti-racist workplace helps attract top talent to the organization. It reduces turnover and absenteeism and it mitigates and minimizes legal roots. And so that's all very critical stuff when you're thinking about how do we uh, get buy-in and how do we move these initiatives forward in our organization. And we wanted to put in uh, my favorite wheel, uh, colorful wheel of the employee life cycle. I know there is uh, maybe a lone HR person on the list. Um, and I'm circling back Tashia, if I'm saying that correctly. So I know you know what this is. This is the employee life cycle. Um, and, uh, and I will, uh, Sarah, I'll address that question in a second. So uh, the, the employee life cycle is really something we also want folks uh, as we move into the next section, which is understanding um, organizational culture and um, moving through what are the things that we need to do and how do we execute these. We also want folks to really think about people coming into the organization, right? And the moment that you meet someone, whether it's at a recruitment event, you get a resume, they are in your organization. And so we really want to ensure that their sense of belonging, their experience with your work um, starts from the beginning all the way through to the fact uh, of when people leave or retire and move on. And so there are many different facets, uh, not just having, you know, oh, let's have a couple of Heritage Months events this month. No, we really want to talk about professional development. Uh, we want to talk about performance management. We want to talk about when someone leaves, how do we exit someone and offboard someone in a way that's really healthy and positive as well. Um, and we have a couple of comments in the chat. HR policies uh, written okay. So Anita, you put in a couple of good stuff, legal services. Yes, employee resource groups are the same as affinity groups. And we'll talk uh, a little bit about that when we move on to the next section. So we've promised a break. Uh, there's gonna be a five minute break, um, which we will time. We wanna encourage folks to get up and rest. Uh, we've done a lot of talking and talking at folks. And we really wanna move into the next section to really start talking about culture and strategies. So when we let's come back, we'll do breakout. We'll have breakout sessions and yeah. we'll try to answer some of these questions and, and get them respond. So we're going to put, uh, we'll, we'll start the break now, and then we'll give folks a, a 30 second warning before we, we hop back in. Uh, and for those of you who want to stay on, if you have chats, stuff that you want to put in the chats, please. Yeah, I think we're good. Okay, great. Okay, wonderful. Um, so welcome back. Uh, time check, it's about two o'clock. Um, and uh, we still have two sections to go through, uh, hopefully qualitatively as well. 
Um, so during the break, uh, we had a number of questions uh, that popped up in the chat box that I just want to address quickly. Um, so uh, Anita and um, Elizabeth, I know that you wanted to find out, well, how do you how do you put anti-racist policies in your HR manuals? We're actually going to talk about that at the end when we talk about action steps and uh, what are the different things you're going to want to look at um, in your HR manuals uh, to essentially root out, um, you know, implicit bias and racism. Uh, sexism as well. Um, so we will circle back to that at the end. Um, folks also asked a little bit about um, if there's been studies done uh, about the business case for legal services. Um, and there are some studies that have been done by the Bar Association looking at the challenges of diversity and inclusion, uh, what the data looks like as well. Um, and that's a good starting point in terms of saying, okay, so so we know what this data looks like. Um, and this is how we really want to make uh, the business effort uh, for it as well. So I put into the chat um, the uh, American Bar link uh, and uh, a, a number of the large bar associations, including probably uh, uh, in Massachusetts as well, has probably done or has a diversity and inclusion committee of their bar associations. So we'd encourage you to also take a look at those websites. Um, again, we practice in New York, uh, so I can tell you on New York's <laughs> bars website, there's tons of uh, different studies that you can pull up. Um, there's also been a great study that was done in uh, New York City uh, proper about bias and racism in legal services. And it actually was a, a pretty comprehensive poll done by the state of uh, black attorneys, prosecutors, judges, court officers about the impact of racism in the workplace. Um, so I would encourage you uh, to, to also look up that data as well if, if there isn't something equivalent um, for where you may be practicing uh, within your state in as well. Yeah. Yes. Um, so let's now circle to the really exciting part of this, uh, which is talking a little bit about how do we get there? How do we change our organizational culture? Um, and what are the tools that we need to put into place uh, to make this happen? And so again, you know, reminding us that the, the topic is really about anti-racism in the workplace and that uh, while we put these policies in place, some of the tools and the, the um, vehicles for change are initiatives and programs. So we think what is really, really key uh, before you move forward is that you really want to acknowledge and address racism, right? Um, and we wanted to take a moment to play a clip um, from a great uh, CBS interview with um, a Pulitzer Prize winning New York Times journalist, Nicole Hannah-Jones, um, who very much uh, was thrust into the public spotlight um, because of the amazing work that she's done on the 1619 Project, but also because she got really embroiled in a very racist, problematic tenure process at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And um, we're going to take a moment to play the clip, but we thought that this particular clip highlights some of the challenges that BIPOC staff face within the organization. Um, and it also intersects not only the challenges, but what are the different mechanisms that actually hold people back, right? Where are the racist policies and procedures and what, how do we need to sort of root them out and have uh, fair employment practices? So Susan, I'm going to have you uh, cue that up.
understands this, would you be more effective working for, say, a predominantly white university that may need to understand the work that you do? Yeah, you know, I have been very, very thoughtful about my decision uh, to go to an historically black college. And what I decided is, uh, since the second grade, when I started being bused into white schools, uh, I've spent my entire life proving that I belonged in elite white spaces uh, that were not built for black people. And I just decided, you know, I got a lot of clarity through um, what happened with the University of North Carolina. I decided I didn't want to do that anymore, that uh, black professionals should feel free and actually perhaps an obligation to go to our own institutions and bring our talents and resources to our own institutions and help to build them up as well. This is not my fight. Uh, I fought the battle that I wanted to fight, which is I deserve to be treated equally and have a vote on my tenure. I won that battle. But it's not my job to heal uh, the University of North Carolina. That's the job of the people in power who created the situation in the first place. Are there any other reasons, and they never gave you reasons, but are there any other reasons that you could think of other than the 1619 project that they would delay your tenure or that this would become a controversy? Absolutely not. If anyone looks at my track record as a journalist, I work at the New York Times. Look at the awards I've won. Look at the work that I've done. Um, I wish that we could make public, you know, the, the letters of recommendation from others in the field. Um, it is clear that I was credentialed enough to teach 18-year-olds how to do journalism at the University of North Carolina. So I don't think anyone can say that there was any other reason other than um, political appointees did not like the nature of my work, and that is illegal discrimination. Had you told... Sorry, so shifting back, um, give me just a moment. I'm sorry, you guys have to share my screen again. So thoughts on that piece. And, and feel free to, to raise your hand and unmute yourself. Any, any thoughts on that piece and some of the challenges uh, that were happening for um, not only the university as employers, but also for Nicole Hannah-Jones, who was being impacted by it? This is a very quiet group of people. Is this oh, real service? Yeah. <laughs> I'll start. I, I, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, so I think what, what struck me is that she said it's not her responsibility to fix uh, North Carolina University. They've got issues around racism, anti-Black racism, and it's really their responsibility to address it and to make it right. Absolutely. With that, the workshop is over. Um, no, just kidding. That is a fantastic point. Um, and it's really the point of why we wanted to sort of talk about the clip um, and what happened in such a public way. Uh, yes, Anita, we want to, um, I might be saying this wrong, Anita, or it's Anita. Uh, it's, uh, it's definitely uh, a very, very powerful story. And for those of us who are doing talent acquisition, uh, man, what a loss. <laughs> what a loss. Um, going on to teach with Sahanisi Coates at Howard. Uh, makes me want to go back to school. Uh, but again, uh, you know, it's a sad loss for the folks at University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And Jazz sort of touched a little bit about how racism and microaggressions play out in the workplace. And we know that they also impact um, performance evaluations uh, and other sort of along the other continuum uh, of an employee's life within the organization.
So we want to shift gears a little bit um, by a show of hands. Uh, if I'm able to see everyone's hands, how many folks read the Demos handout? Yay! That's great. How many? How many folks skimmed it? <laughs> okay, great. Um, so listen, uh, it's it's a it's a uh, lengthy, wonderfully written document. And we really wanted to include this as a case study because what we know and what we've observed in a lot of our work at Amistad is that folks often need the tools to really undergo transformative change, especially around race equity. And um, we wanted to identify what we thought would be a great case study to talk about, which was essentially the process that Demos went through. So for those of you who may not be familiar, um, Demos is a uh, liberal leaning think tank um, with a great mission of looking at democracy and equality. And uh, very much they acknowledge uh, from its inception as a think tank, um, it's predominantly white staff, the board of directors. And so when they had a change of leadership uh, a number of years ago, they decided that they really wanted to rethink their work from an anti-racist lens. And why was this important to them, right? Um, well, in order for them to really think about how they're going to win progressive policy changes, they also really had to be challenged. They had to start thinking about how they view their work from the racial equity lens, because policy changes and winning uh, progressive change doesn't impact folks the same way. And so um, were they also bringing in, in terms of their own analysis of the work, their biases, right? Um, and what they've been raised with in terms of the culture was not having a diverse staff actually really hurting them in terms of their mission as well, in order to really move forward with true progressive change. So Demos decided that it was going to embark upon um, a, an operational assessment, essentially, involving all of their staff. And the reason why we're really talking about this is that for organizations who really want to embark upon some transformative change, you really need to know, well, what are the steps that we want to do to get there, right? Because what we're seeing too often is that people are putting in mentoring programs or superficial things within the organization that, quite frankly, seem like window dressing, right? Like they're, they're great tools to attract candidates and diverse candidates. But when folks get into the culture, they realize it's very different um, than uh, essentially, uh, you know, their idea of what the organization should be. And I can tell you right now, as a recruiter, um, the millennial generation or the next generation coming after us is a very highly educated generation, very tech savvy, and care a lot about workplace culture. So these folks, and as this generation moves through the, the workforce, they're going to bring back a lot of change. Um, they're going to demand more of employers. And so we really wanted to, to sort of talk about uh, with Demos, the reason why they engaged in this process is that they knew that they had to really close the gap, right? And they had to really implement um, and execute new plans within the organization. So they did this essentially through a four-step process. Um, and for those of you, uh, again, who didn't get a chance to read it, it it's a very hefty document. Um, but I want to just talk very briefly about the, the components of transformation. Um, now, you're probably wondering, well, I don't have time to do this. <laughs> um, I'm under-resourced. I'm the lone HR person. How do I 
actually move forward, right? And we are gonna talk about those challenges at the end and what are the steps that we can take to begin to move towards uh, this, this transformation. I'm sorry, this transformative process. So what essentially DEMOS did is they engaged in a four-step analysis, a four-step process. The first thing that they did was a foundational analysis, and they knew it was really critical for them to have a shared language, for leadership to really be able to explain, this is why we need to do anti-racist work. So once they were really able to articulate that by having shared language, um, understanding what are the experiences of their staff or the folks who are missing from the room, um, they were able then to go through essentially an organizational assessment. And the organizational assessment is what took a look at um, the policies, the procedures, what the structure of the organization was, who the stakeholders were, um, who they wanted to essentially include in the process as well. And it was a four month process that they went through. So it might seem really daunting, like, oh my God, this is gonna take forever. Um, well, they actually had some outside help come in and they were able to go through a process within four months, um, very intensively to really uh, be able to do an operational, I'm sorry, an organizational assessment. Uh, the next phase, phase three of their plan was a learning phase. Uh, it's uh, when we talked down the road a little bit about training, 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 um, you know, putting together uh, discussion groups. Uh, again, um, we don't all share a common language around oppression and racism. We all bring our different experiences to the table. So uh, they talked a lot about white privilege and white fragility and the way that power plays out within the workplace um, and uh, particularly from leadership as well. Um, and those are all key things to really think about as part of uh, engaging in learning. It's an ongoing continuous process. And then finally, implementation, right? That's the most critical phase for them. So we've done all of this self-reflection. We are looking at the organizational culture. How do we actually take these policies and practices and put them into place? So again, some of their key lessons uh, was that they had to really change the way that they thought about racial equity, right? And make it part of the culture that they set a baseline expectation that staff should have knowledge and training and engage actively in doing anti-racist work. Um, and again, uh, some of the things that they actually did in terms of the implementation was making knowledge and skills about racial equity actually part of a job qualification. And uh, I have to tell you, that's a really radical move um, in organizations that we've all worked at, we do it. It's actually in the job descriptions. And more and more, you're going to see that that's actually, that's a language that's put in the job descriptions. And it clearly communicates, right, to the job pool, the applicant pool, to the community that we serve. This is a really important thing. And we are committed to hiring people who are going to do anti-racist work, who are going to practice as anti-racist lawyers or staff or social workers, whatever uh, the, the role in the organization is. Um, and I think what was really critical uh, was that they actually took time to do this process, right? And this is the hard nitty gritty. It's again, where we, a lot of us fall down because we're so busy, we're so under-resourced. Um, but again, we have to make time to do this work. So again, read the DEMOS um, document when you get a chance, especially for those of you who may be in leadership positions or change makers, influencers, 
we all can be the change in the workplace. Um, there's some really great takeaways. So we're going to shift gears again. And uh, this is a, a point where we want to have some dialogue and some conversation. So we want to split folks up into breakout rooms. And all of us are going to focus on answering. In the breakout rooms, there's going to be one facilitator per room. So Jazz will be in one room, Susan another, and then myself. We're going to spend about five minutes doing this. And as a group in the breakout room, we're going to answer questions number three and four. Um, share that information within the, the subgroup and then come back to the larger group so that we can talk a little bit about what is going on in our different organizations and then what are strategies that we can employ as well when we're talking about infusing race equity into our work. So I'm going to turn this over. Susan, I think, were you making the breakout rooms? Sorry, folks, we were having some technical difficulties earlier. We're waiting for Daniel to create some breakout rooms for us. I think he yeah. gave you the co you the hosting capability because I saw the technical person come in. Oh, you did? Okay, let me see. Yeah. I apologize, you guys. We we had some issues with this earlier. Um, so I'm still not seeing the breakout rooms. Um Here, hold on, let me see. Let me do one more thing. Yeah, do you see it? Yeah, it's not coming up for me, you guys. I'm gonna make, can I make you the host, Susan? Would that help? You can try and then you wanna text them? Okay, yes. Yeah. So let me make you the host. So, and I'll just say this, Kathy asked about like the cost of like the demo study. I don't know what that cost. Um, they oh. talked about it being <laughs> extremely expensive and it probably was because they had consultants for several cool. years. It was yeah. underwritten by Ford Foundation. Yes. I know because I have a friend who's worked for Ford, they pay up to $450 an hour for their consultants. So if they pay for it, it was probably quite expensive. Um, uh, I didn't yeah. work on that project, FYI. <laughs> so. so I can tell you these, these organizational assessments. So while we're sort of trying to figure out the breakout room, folks can answer their questions. Uh, in oh, practice. I have it. Oh, great. Okay, okay. Um, go ahead. Did you want to say one more thing before I do it? These assessments, assessments can take anywhere from four to eight months, depending on the size of the staff, because the folks who come in and, uh, you know, um, and do this, uh, spend a lot of time actually interviewing staff. Um, and that's a really key part of, of the work that they're doing, but they also do a real top to down analysis of policies and procedures. They look at data. Um, and we can talk a little bit about that down the road, um, but those are things that we all really recommend um, because while we want to have a great recruiting strategy, <laughs> we really need to think of our organization holistically, right? Um, so, Susan, I'm going to let you put us into, I'm going to go yep. back with quick step to the and question. And would you put the um, questions back up? And we're going to yeah. do question number three and four. Yes. Okay. So, I Susan's going to move up to breakout groups. Um, I'm going to assign it automatically, okay. but if we're in a different one, I'll need to, if we're in the same one, I'll have to reassign us because we should have our own. Okay, great. You see what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Create. Let me just look and make sure. Okay. I, I have to move to, I have to move you 
to room two. I'm just making sure Justina and Susan. So we definitely want to be cognizant of time, but we wanted to make sure we get a chance to talk to folks today as well um, and really get some, some feedback. Okay, and I'll jump in whatever room I can get into. Okay, sounds good. Okay. Well, welcome back. Uh, we had some really great conversations in my group, and I, you all, your faces look so animated. I know you all solved all the problems, right? We don't even have to do the last part of the workshop. Um, so I see Jazz laughing. We're ready to call it quits, right? So we just want to do a quick time check because we know we're about 2.40. I think this workshop's 90 minutes. Are folks okay bearing with us as we move through this and, and go on to the next section? And again, if you have to jump off, this is going to be recorded. Um, and uh, we've been told that it will be made available upon request as well. Great. So I'm going to pick on our facilitators. <laughs> And we're going to just do a quick share um, of some of the things that we learned. Uh, perhaps, you know, we had a couple of folks do some really great sharing about strategies. So um, just in the interest of time, um, we would love to really just share one or two takeaways from each breakout group. And uh, encourage- I can do a timer. Um, you wanna do a timer? Okay. Yeah, and how many, you wanna give everybody a minute? Yeah, let's do that. Let's get okay. everyone. All right, done. So let's Thank you, Kathy. Um, have a, a great day, and uh, hopefully, we can get you the slide deck and everything else for the. Susan, do you want to start? Sure. Our facilitator was Marlene. Marlene, would you like to? So, um, I would say one of the the top things that we talked about when it comes to inclusion is identifying ways to include um, everyone in the office and to also elevate the voices of those that are missing from the table, um, as well as having that ongoing conversation amongst ourselves to um, identify the current culture and the changes that need to take place. But inclusion was the underlying word in that conversation. And then with obstacles, it was um, overall the inability to acknowledge the biases that exist and how that affects um, the work that needs to be done. I think that was a, the overarching theme. Right. And, and I think you mentioned salary and the, the, oh, the yeah. with salary and, and that minority and, you know, Correct. Salary. Races, you know, the, 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 the wealth, the wealth gap. Correct. Correct. Oh, our time is up. Okay. Um, Let's go to Jazz next. Jazz, ready? Um, I can chime in. Does anyone from my, my group want to give a summation? I'm happy to do it. Give folks a second. Um, yep, I will jump in. We talked about a lot of different topics. The largest one was um, around, we actually at the end started talking about hiring uh, and hiring practices, whether big identifiers, like racial identifiers, like name, possibly what school someone went to should be scrubbed or hidden. Um, we talked about the ability to create rubrics and ways for there to be metrics for hiring. Um, we had talked about kind of how do we diversify these spaces, especially um, upper level, upper management, um, not just kind of boards, um, but um, also kind of management structure. How do we diversify those spaces? Um, I had talked a little bit about success, almost kind of succession planning, right? How do we actually mentor so that folks know and 
uplift to the folks um, who are in different positions to move up into positions after they are moving on. Um, so we talked about that a bit. And we also talked, there were organizations that were at more of a starting point with their, with their process, right? Just thinking through and others that had worked a lot internally to discuss what can be done and have now hit a roadblock where they need external consultants, right? They need other folks to be able to come in and help with assessment and conversation and what barriers they are kind of hitting against after they've done a lot of internal work. Uh, so really good different span. Um, um, and then moving on to the last group, uh, I was in a group with a lot of folks. Uh, I think I was the trying to facilitate, um, but I'm gonna pick on someone to share some of the conversation in our group. So I'm gonna pick on you, Liz, uh, because full disclosure, Liz read this demo study months ago. <laughs> so she gets, if I had an apple, you would get it <laughs> um, for, for uh, the stars. No problem. Yeah, I um, didn't know we were going to have this session then, but I was um, just trying to figure out what steps to take in moving us um, to be more an anti-racist organization. We service people who are incarcerated, so like some other people have mentioned, some might think that that means that they're already doing anti-racist work, but um, we, we know that that's not true, so we're trying to push that. So I read the article, and it's what convinced me that we needed to do a transformative process. And so we're in the process of trying to consult with somebody or contract with a consultant to do that work. It is pricey, but you know, putting the money in the budget and trying to make it happen. But we talked about inclusion really being, um, you know, having BIPOC staff as part of leadership um, in positions of leadership, as part of the leadership structure, having a clear path towards uh, leadership and supervision roles. But I, also mentioned that I think one barrier to that is when you have a structure, especially our, our organization is very small, that is you know, traditionally white-led, people have been in these positions for decades, it's really hard to, you can't just put BIPOC staff on the leadership team and say, now we're inclusive, right? You really have to, so I'm making a plug for the transformative process because I think that is a necessary component. Um, we can't do this work unless we all have a shared understanding all operating from the same space. And so we're still, you know, embarking on that, on that journey and, um, you know, we'll create those positions uh, for BIPOC staff, but with the assumption that we're all going to be moving uh, towards that goal in the end through this process. So I'm going to say one thing. I think that um, when we talked about inclusion a little bit, we talked about, people talked about not actually actions, but the way things were. Well, we've talked about it. Inclusion should be an action. For example, um, onboarding. Do you have that conversation? I partner you with the mentorship. I, um, we have monthly gatherings for birth to celebrate um, birthday parties um, with everyone. We also set, celebrate cultural um cultural parties or have and our, our newest thing was game night not just to have you know have cultural games like I want to play dominoes I want to play spades like these intrinsic games you know I want to play cards during you know the festival of lights there are different things that you might want to do during these cultural but fun things that make you feel oh in included and can help create which a whole, was a whole different topic that Jazz could talk about cultural humility. So I'm done and I'll let you go. <laughs>
Um, so I felt like we could have really all talked for a long time because, um, you know, we had other folks have shared uh, the challenges, uh, for example, uh, recruiting diverse managers, um, you know, and, and what are the sort of the real obstacles. Um, and so I think, you know, the next step moving forward, we're also going to really talk about strategies. I am going to move through this last slide uh, quickly in the interest of time, because I, I think we are running a little bit over. Um, so, you know, obviously, after this very long transformative process, demos actually began to move to the implement implementation phase. And as I said earlier, they um, made it actually part of the job descriptions and the interview process to talk a little bit about race um, and to be able to really gauge um, how their applicants and how people in interviews uh, were responding to some of these issues. So this is, uh, you know, specific again uh, to issues of interviewing and hiring, but it's applicable uh, in terms of applying race equity across the board and inclusion across the board. Uh, we have also, for example, talked about um, the importance of, of we'll talk uh, down the road, the importance of having inclusive data tracking um, and what that means and how you track outcomes as well. Um, so to wrap up this exciting section, uh, we're going to move now to the, the part we're all waiting for, the solution. The solution is in the next slide, but it isn't. Um, it's going to be an ongoing process. And um, I just want to say, we, we in preparation uh, for this, Jazz, Susan, and I were like, these are all trainings in themselves. Like, we could spend an hour talking about uh, you know, race equity and transformation. We can spend an hour about rewriting a job description. How do we make it more inclusive? Um, how do we source? How do we do equity-centered planning? And so again, we, we entered this space knowing that we weren't gonna necessarily get to everything or have all of the answers, but what are the tools and what are the starting points that we need to do to, to begin this journey or to look at the journey we're in right now and make it even stronger. So moving on, uh, for those of you who have not read uh, Professor Ibrahim X. Kendi, we would strongly encourage you to do that. Um, he uh, has written a number of really great books, uh, which we would also encourage, uh, put on your reading list for your staff. Um, one is uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist, to the other one is called Stamp from the Beginning. Um, and this is taken from an interview. It's, it's actually, you're gonna be given a list of resources at the end. So the link to the interview is actually um, in the resource page at the end. But we felt like this chart basically sums up everything that's going on in our brains right now, <laughs> right? We've been in this conference for three days and there's just all these different pieces going back and forth. So where do we do, right? Like we know we need to have a common language and common definitions. Um, and we know what our mission is. And then how do we uh, advocate for policies that uh, eliminate those different issues, not only in our work, but also in our workplace. Um, so, you know, what I think Professor Kennedy says is obviously policy is the first step, right? Uh, no brainer state the obvious, uh, but again, it's worth really thinking about, um, you know, and he thinks of, of treating racism as cancer, uh, which is a very interesting approach um, to racism. So we'd encourage you to read the article. And again, if some days your brain feels like this, you're not the only one, right? <laughs> um, there's a lot happening. So where do we go from here? And again, um, I'm going to go through some of the different sections, uh, and you're going to see that they are somewhat similar to Demos, but they have a little bit more concrete details uh, specific for legal services. 
And so we know that the most key important thing is obviously we've talked a lot about DEMOS. Um, there's other models out there. Um, you want to conduct a, an organizational assessment. So one of the questions we asked in our breakout session is, well, who, who's looking at this issue of race equity? Is it just one person? Is it a committee? So, you know, hopefully when you leave here today, you are all going back to your workplaces and saying, I can't do this alone, right? Um, so if I am the sole diversity champion and race equity champion, I've got to get buy-in. I've got to make this part of the organization. So establishing something as simple as a race equity committee uh, within the organization to start looking at these issues, to maybe map them out um, is a really great way to start off. Again, um, some really straightforward, simple things, workplace surveys, uh, interviewing existing surveys. There's a number of survey templates out there. There's also folks who come in and they customize uh, surveys for the organization. And again, you know, really obvious things, but you know, they're worth saying, which is you wanna get your staff buy-in, you wanna invite collaboration. Um, and that's why it's really critical to have this foundational analysis. You know, what's the shared language? How do you explain why this is important to your mission? And how does staff feel about it, right? Like how, how do we bring folks in um, to the fray, like the fold? And again, uh, for those of you in leadership positions, resource positions, how do we use resources? How do we make sure that there's tangible support um, moving forward? Um, and I know Susan's bringing up a couple of other things in the chat box that we can think about. Then, right, uh, redesigning policies, right, and procedures, focusing on workplace inclusion. So uh, this is a multi-layered approach. Um, for those of you who might have one overworked HR person, they're a great resource. Uh, but again, you know, in order for you to really shepherd new policies and procedures, there has to be a group of folks who are able and given the time to work on this as well. So you're really gonna wanna review your existing policies. And again, starting with the common language, define what uh, the staff and the organization sees as anti-racist work and procedures. And uh, there was a question earlier about, well, how do I incorporate that into an employee handbook? And, uh, you know, obviously I think revising your mission statement, rewriting it from a place of inclusion, right? Having staff help to rewrite that is one way. Um, and then when you're also looking at other aspects, quote unquote, of, of traditional stuff, um, you know, you, you're gonna wanna have some language on, uh, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, um, events, uh, for example, uh, other things that you can do in terms of uh, reducing bias and uh, fostering inclusion is, um, you know, what it, what's the process for complaints, right? Like how do people come and report discrimination? Uh, we sleep on that a lot <laughs> um, because as we all know, work is a very social place. And so you're gonna wanna look and make sure that not only are those policies really, really clear, but it's also communicated that there, there is, you know, a, a no tolerance policy around these issues, right? Um, and so, you know, what are the other pieces of that? Like, how are we also working to uh, make our workplace anti-racist in policies and procedures? So are we offering trainings and other things as well? Um, and again, you know, we want to talk a little bit about the fact that this, uh, and someone said this earlier in, in my breakout session, which is, it, 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 inclusion means everyone in, this, in the workspace, right? Um, so we wanna make sure that that also includes our board. And uh, Professor Kendi's piece really talks a lot about desegregation of board of directors and the C-suite. 
um, the leadership teams of different organizations. And so we really wanna think about that as well. Are there folks that we can bring into uh, you know, our board, our volunteers? How can we diversify our volunteers and interns as well? Uh, again, uh, employee resource groups are a great way uh, to foster a sense of belonging. Um, Susan put the definition earlier in the chat box. Um, but again, uh, I want to caution you, which is what Jazz has said earlier. People of color, LGBTQ folks, women are not responsible. Nicole Hannah-Jones was not responsible for healing the workplace. Um, this is why you really need to have a very structured approach to how you want to um, you know, desegregate, demystify, do anti-racist work in your organization. So um, we have a question um, from Jonathan. So they, we know what to look for. Do you have examples of, uh, or of race, of, of, do you mean anti-racist, Jonathan, policies and procedures that you've come across in the organization? We have, I, I, if you're asking me for example of racist policies and procedures, one would have been the way um, people entered and were on the pay scale for legal services that had a disproportionate impact against um, you know, uh, people of color. And that was the step that they gave you for being a, um, a law clerk and not using the set valuing other experience um, for um, some other attorneys that were attorneys of color that may have not had a law clerk, clerk position. So even though you graduated the same year, people had a higher pay scale, we were able to stop that and, and get credit for other types of work, like being in AmeriCorps VISTA as a lawyer for a year. So um, that's an example, if that's what you're looking for. Um, not sure if the other, some other items that um, the policies that you could change is there's, uh, there, there was a, uh, an amount of money that was d given for um, language um, courses. And it's hard to take a language course when you're working an extra job as a legal attorney waiting tables just to make ends meet because your student loans are high. So saying, you know, this policy instead of just for language courses should be for a one-time student loan payment or a language course. So you have the option of doing that. So there are these policies that are intrinsically um, unfair that we have to look at. And I think that that's what we're talking about. And it is very specific to your organization. So the assessment is quite important yeah. uh, to doing that. And I think having really trans other folks have put really great stuff in the chat. Sorry, Susan, um, did I cut you off? No, no, you, you did not. Okay, great. Um, people put really great ones uh, in the chat boxes, um, mm -hmm. changing codes. Um, you know, that's really critical. That often comes a lot along <laughs> down race and gender, sexual orientation and gender identity lines, right? Um, and so being mindful of, of uh, you know, uh, those dynamics as well. Um, I often think that, you know, you really wanna have clear transparency around uh, promotions, um, performance evaluations, disciplinary actions are another place where we often see really racist outcomes, um, how folks are disciplined in the workplace. And so I think we want to think a little bit about that um, and what are those policies in the workplace. Um, so that goes back to thinking about the person as a whole person, right? The whole life cycle of a human being through every phase. And um, how can we incorporate and reduce bias and discrimination in all those phases? 
again, we could go on forever, uh, but we know we've got to wrap this up. So moving along to our next slide. Um, again, really, really critical, continuously training staff and incorporating anti-racism into recruitment and hiring. Um, you know, this is a big thing. Uh, you know, we want to make sure that uh, the vision is being communicated. It's also on our website. Applicants know what our vision is. They have expectations of what the organization is like. Um, we're also training staff who participate in recruitment, interviewing, evaluations, everything. And I'm going to tell you one of the biggest places where we see a lot of discrimination is um, in interviews where people say things like, wow, that person spoke really good. You know, um, I've heard people say that. <laughs> um, or they will be very, very critical of writing samples without realizing uh, small typos, different things on resumes. Um, and there have been a number of studies done about um, how uh, writing samples are evaluated and ranked based on the name of the person, right? Um, so again, these are all really basic things. And I, I always recommend that you do some sort of required curriculum for people who are doing interviews. I'm sorry, we know we're losing folks, so we're gonna uh, jump it along to the last slide um, before we wrap up the session. So again, uh, you know, in addition to doing the first three things that we talked about as an action plan, research is really critical. You need to make sure that there's people on staff who are being given time to actually implement uh, these different policies and procedures. So we really want to conduct research, implement new strategies, track data in order to measure outcomes. Um, you know, a, a few folks have said, uh, well, I'm not getting a diverse applicant pool. Uh, you know, one of the things you might want to look at is where are you recruiting? Uh, if you aren't recruiting at different places, uh, you know, that's in itself, we could talk about how you develop a strategic recruitment plan that incorporates diverse folks. Uh, what are the other in-house events that you want to also create? Uh, diversity open houses, other ways uh, that your employee resource groups can also play a role in terms of recruiting and uh, building out a diverse applicant pool. Um, you also really want to think about how you track data, right? So this goes back to anti-racism, who's getting promotions, who's being moved along, who's leaving the organization, how are we doing exit interviews? Um, those are all concrete things that you can put into place that will give you an idea of what's happening in the organization, because uh, data tells stories, right? Um, so we want to make sure that we're tracking data and that it is actually a tool for accountability as well. So, so we need to conclude, Bharati. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> so um, we gave you a checklist. Um, there's more that needs to be done. I'm just going to say this. I'm going to let Barati finish. I know that 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 MLAC is 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 trying to do something, but actually collaborating and and having model policies is something that could be done, and then tweaking those model policies for the the individual smaller organizations. It it seems like it, you know there are economies of scale and and using the larger coalition um, to do that would be helpful, and that would be one way to mitigate costs. But that's something that that you have to do from the ground up. It, it, Barati, I want you to finish. I'm sorry. Yes, I'm sorry. I, we're losing people. So moving through again, you'll get the slide deck. But we've listed a sample inclusivity checklist for HR. Uh, this is a really great uh, thing that you can just use across the board. 
And uh, we did actually include some questions at the end. Uh, again, you will all get this. It's just some great points to think about. Um, what's the help you do an analysis in your workplace? What are the issues? What's missing? Who's missing? And then how do we take action moving forward? And then wrapping up, because we did not get to the last breakaway. Um, feedback and key takeaways. We wanted to spend some time talking about this. I don't think we're going to be able to get to it. And if anybody, I, I mean, we can say if people have yeah. questions and want to chat, that's not a problem because I know some right. people had some questions in, about like the affinity groups, some of the collaborations that we've done for that you created, Barati, about um, with students, students um, from HBCU law schools coming in and um, spending their spring break with you all to, to learn about your culture you know, yeah. or having a spring break uh, uh, time so that you host these students. Um, there are a lot of creative ideas that Bar um, Barati didn't talk about this, but we she created a mentorship program for the interns of color where we worked on, uh, she worked on, we worked on resume skills, set them with the mentor, let them rotate. These are the types of programs um, that that can be created to take time but commitment yeah and there, there's a lot of ways out there to move forward so again uh wrapping up we just want to thank all of you um i know my uh colleague jazz will probably want to weigh in and thank all of you as well uh we did list some different resources out there including the link for demos and a couple of other folks so again um on behalf of myself i want to really thank all of you for being here i learned a lot today uh, we hope that you were able to take away some tools to start off. Uh, make sure that you give us feedback. I think MLAC is collecting feedback as well. Yes. And uh, Jazz, I don't know if you want to. Uh... Jazz had to go to another training. Oh, okay. <laughs> we lost. We lost Jazz. <laughs> yeah. So... And Jazz does a lot of work around um, um, sexual orientation and um the the intersectionality uh um between the lbgt community and race um she she's you know experienced social worker who who's who's done a lot of work around that um for for legal services uh for us and we've also done some work around working with the with uh the deaf community and how do you work with deaf community in in um in, in courts and cultures and understanding deaf culture so we just have to be you know just aware of all the communities that we serve i mean this isn't easy it's a continuous process we figured you know we didn't go into what does it mean to be anti-racist because we know you've had two days of that but it's a continuous process and it's a lot of self-reflection yeah. for you to for you to come up with these strategies right you everyone should do the anti-bias tests everyone should should have some some type of in, internal self-reflection you have to have buy-in from the beginning i love the fact that there may be some one-on-one -on -one coaching and this these are complicated topics and 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 one of the things they talk about that, that that i've read about is just affinity groups um that are segregated um so that there can be discussions and then understanding within the affinity group and then to come together um, later. And I, the Demos talks about that a little bit, but there's some other writings about that. We, it, Legal Services in New York has kind of like spread that around. If I can find that article, I'm happy to share that with you. But people need space to speak 
um, their truth with other people and understand it when they understand what their biases could be. So I was. And uh, we'll get this slide deck out to folks um, from MLAC, but um, I, I see we have a few more. We're happy to stay on, like we said. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where does leadership fit in with affinity groups? Susan, you want to take that or? Well, so our affinity groups, um, you know, are usually staff attorneys. Um, so for example, um, we may have, um, we have a, a, attorneys of color, a larger affinity group, we have LBGTQ affinity group, and we have an affinity group that is um, a, a, a Black lawyers affinity group. The, the, the management usually is not a part of those affinity groups, and but are often invited speakers to those affinity groups. The other thing that we've done is to create a leadership lunch series, which I kind of lead. And the leadership lunch series is a self-directed series of what staff needs to understand to, for professional development. And it includes everyone. The target though is, is to, to um, address the needs that it was a mentorship need that wasn't being met by some of the marginalized uh, attorneys. So that had turned out to a lunch where we invite speakers to come out. So one of the ones, one of the speakers that we had come out, and this is when you talk about inclusive, was a South African, um, uh, uh, she's actually a writer, but a, a professor that talked about spatial displacement or gentrification. Um, in in communities of color globally, which which touched a lot of different affinity groups, right? Um, we 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 talked about um, you know her specific Fulbright had been on um, on India and and the um, worker migrant class uh, in in. And she she traveled. She studied in India, but she uh, uh, but she also looked at the comparison between the work in 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 two different countries, and then started to talk about the U.S. and the policies that were being used in the U.S. Um, that 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 were used in the U.S. that had transcended to other cultures to promote gentrification. And she talked about one that 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 I wouldn't have thought about is is using arts as a tool to gentrify. So anyway, so those are the kinds of things that made people include, feel included because it was, it was intergenerational. It was trend, you know, um, talked about arts. It talked about various cultures and, um, and it, it was definitely had a racial tone. So those are the type of, when you say inclusive belonging, we felt like not we not only belong to a small community, but we belong to the global environment, and everyone had the opportunity to speak. So those are just some examples that I'm giving you. Um, yeah. Okay. I don't want to continue. We could continue forever. But any other questions? Feel free to unmute. And if there are any needs that you have. Um, you should write them and let Tanisha know. Um, she has asked us to do like specific, specific, because it was really big. Like we could do just one on, okay, right. this is how we're going to, uh, this is our recruitment strategy. 
Like it, there, it could be two, one hour just on a recruitment strategy. Yeah, so so we're definitely, um, you know, feel free to reach out to Susan. Um, Susan, do you wanna put your email in the chat? Um, if folks have any sort of follow-up questions, and again, we'll make sure the slide deck and the resources get out. Um, and we would really love, I think you're gonna be giving us feedback. So we would really love feedback, um, you know, uh, on this particular workshop um, and thoughts about things we could do um, or do a little bit differently as well, what you liked, what you didn't like. Um, but we know everyone must be exhausted. <laughs> it's been a long, uh, hopefully, challenging, joyous, exciting, creative three days for everyone. And um, I think really thinking about all of this is, is fantastic. Um, just checking the chat box. Thank you so much for everyone. So Susan's put her information uh, uh, in, in the chat box as well for Amistad Consulting um, if you have any follow-up questions to talk to us about. Yep. But good luck, everyone. We're Thank all down you. We know you're all up in uh, throughout various parts of Massachusetts. So have a great summer. Be safe. Take yes. care of yourselves. Um, and make sure you keep joy and love and uh, and uncomfortableness. <laughs> Challenge yourself. Yes. Take care, everyone. <laughs>